Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I guess I'm a sissy liberal American. And I am Ken Shane Rock. Welcome to episode 249. WWF Raw is War. War. Cue the pyro. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> Explosions. People walking around. Stomping a parking lot or fire. a parking garage. <laughs> you can tell it's shot in a parking garage. It's a Titantron. Yeah, got us a pyro. This, this whole stage and the the ramp. See, this I is know. the raw I remember. I mean, same. And I didn't start watching probably until ninety with like eight. The siren at the beginning and yes. yeah, yeah. Probably the end of ninety eight is when I started watching. So, but it was you know the same vibe. Yeah, that I mean, big Titantron set. Watching since the start, but yeah, this one, even when the episode started, it was like, this just has a different feel to it. It's like I'm watching a different show, even though it's raw. It's almost like the set that, like the set that would have worked better for the show, the NWO show that WCW did, instead of the weird, goofy set they made. Like anything would have worked better than that set. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That set was really stupid, but they were trying to go for like, cool, and this one is cool, because it's like... Simple and like to the point and kind of rugged looking. Yeah, the only thing cool about that set was just the voiceover guy with his whole loser. <laughs> loser. Wow, we went all the way back to the NWO show. I mean, it, unfortunately, it's hard to forget. <laughs> it's going to be like frayed in the brain for yeah, like forever. Absolutely. So, this is the 204th episode of Raw produced by WWF. It would take place on April 7th, 1997. From the Worthern Arena in Muncie, Indiana, with an attendance of 3,353 people, and a TV rating of 2.2, which, to give a comparison, Nitro got a 3.7 that week. Yeah, and you know which show we're not watching, Nitro? That's true, we're not going to watch <laughs> Nitro from this week. No, we're not. We can't watch them all, guys. The... Uh... Yeah, anytime I see Muncie, I just think of um, Hudsucker Proxy. <laughs> you seen that, Matt? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's actually one of my favorite Coen Brothers. Coen Brother movies. Yeah, me too. But yeah, a Muncie boy, is that what he says? Or she's a Muncie girl? Either way. I'm sure a lot of people think see Muncie and get it mistaken with Pawnee um, from Parks and Rec. I do love me some Parks and Rec. <sighs> I almost took a playoff of them today with my whole culinary adventure ah i see yeah but it was too hard to recreate speaking of your culinary adventure around the world we're in muncie indiana so did you do what you do i kind of did but uh, what am i it, drinking it kind of does what it does on its own <laughs> i think it's cranberry juice and jägermeister i mean you're half right it tastes like red bull there we go okay <laughs> there's okay. the other half yeah originally i was gonna go for there's that episode of Parks and Rec, where they go to the St. Elmo's Steakhouse, and one of the the dishes from Indiana is the shrimp cocktail, and that's, I guess, the best shrimp cocktail in the country that you can get is from this St. Elmo's, but I was not able to recreate it. I was going to go to my friends over it. The best shrimp cocktail would be is Indiana. It's because of the the sauce. Ah, okay. Yeah. I was going to go to uh, my friends over at Red Prime. But they were not open at the time, so had to go another route. I figured it's raw. We got this rocket entrance. It it feels like the raw that I watched during the college days, and you know, alcohol. Yeah, get his, you know, get his juice for recording. College, like, you know, a little bit of booze and caffeine. I went to like it's right up. Yeah, <laughs> went to the the old Google verse and typed in popular drinks in Indiana, and I came upon this list from SpoonUniversity.com. It's the unofficial cocktails of each 50 states, and for Indiana, they had 
as we've already mentioned, a little Red Bull, a little Jaeger, otherwise known as a Jaeger bomb. Jaegermeister is one of the most purchased alcohols in Indiana, so you can't go wrong with the Jaeger bomb. These shots are fun to take, but don't drink too many of them. Take it from the Hoosiers and not just the uh, Indiana University students who have mastered the art of Jaeger bombs. I feel like Jaeger had a moment quite a while ago, but I can't think of anybody drinking Jaeger. Oh, it's still one of my guilty pleasures. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I, I have two Jaeger shot glasses that came with a bottle of Jaeger that I bought. That around, around the holidays. <laughs> permanent residency in my freezer. When we went on our GM trip, me and my old GM, it was kind of a all-the-time ritual while we were on this trip that anytime one of us said it, we had to take a shot. So we, we drank many of them. I haven't had a Jaeger bomb in forever though, so I think I'm the only one left. But yeah, I know. My suck my clink, clink and clink. clink and I mean it's a shot, right? So here we go. Are you? Yeah, I guess I didn't even think about it. I thought it was just like a drink. I was like, why is there no ice? In it? Yeah, it's I used up just the rest of the Jaeger or not the Jaeger, the rest of the uh, Red Bull in it. So there's more Red Bull than there should be. But here we go. Yeah, it's all good. It's a big shot, but it worked. Whenever I see Jaeger, I think of uh, Pantera. It's the official drink of Pantera, okay. for sure. Those guys loved that shit. Yeah, it's definitely easier to drink with Red Bull. Mm-hmm. I'm not uh, much of a Red Bull fan, but if I do drink Red Bull, it has to have alcohol in it. Unless you have put Red Bull in something else that we have done in the past, this is my first Red Bull. This oh. is the second because I was thinking of that because I couldn't remember if I had done the Jaeger bombs before. Uh, we did the Vegas bombs and they also have Jaeger in them. Oh, so. okay. I said Red Bull. All right. The Red or, Bull. Sorry. I think that's what I meant to say. Okay. Was, yeah. Now I got to double check just to make sure my brain isn't processing wrong. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Vegas bomb. Boo, 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 boo. No, it was the bunny. The blue dust bunny that had Red Bull in it. Hmm. <clears throat> Before we uh, get to what happened this week, I know we already did our Christmas episode, but I uh, got you guys something. It's closer to Christmas when we're recording this. It's the same uh-huh. thing, but when uh, so nicely wrapped. Yeah, I was like, I don't know why I bothered wrapping it, but uh-huh. I just I just wrapped all, like my, wrapped all of my wrapped all of my Christmas <laughs> other Christmas gifts. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking awesome. <laughs> the Bret Hart Simpsons edition collectible action figure. I know. I've had my eye on them for quite a while, and I found somebody selling like a lot of three of them on eBay. So I was like, I'll take those. My nephew's going to be jealous. It's a 2014 NECA convention exclusive. That's hardcore right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why I was like, oh, I found, them, I found a lot of three of them. And I was like, all right, there we go. Because some people like to overcharge for them, but... Uh, Somebody was trying to get rid of three of them. The Old Man and the Lisa. Air date, April 20th, 1997. But I figured as far as, you know, That's wrestling action figures go. Right around the same time as this episode. <laughs> yep. That's funny. I didn't yeah, even yeah. catch that. But yeah, I figured as far as wrestling action figures go, Bret Hart as a Simpsons character is about as uh, unique as it gets. That's awesome, man. Hell yeah. But what I did have written down... Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, <laughs> for what know. happened this week. Yes, exactly. A couple of films would hit theaters in Anaconda and Gross Point Blank. Hell yeah. I haven't seen Gross Point Blank. Dude, that actually That's really a John surprises Cus- John Cusack, me. right? Yeah. John and Joan. And Minnie Driver. And Dan Aykroyd. Is he in this one? See, I don't even know what the... Premise is it's a comedy. It's a comedy. He's basically he's a hitman. He's a hitman. Okay, that goes back to his high school, high school reunion. reunion. Okay, I wasn't. I knew it was a hitman thing. It's and, like or I thought it was a hitman thing. Get Shorty and, but, was like, popular. Com- Romeo and Michelle was popular. So put them together, uh, and you got Gross Point Blank. Well, that yes, sounds like it was a good <laughs> Well, that sounds like a good time. Yeah, but Anaconda, I've seen a bunch of times. I mean, there's one thing that I've I've kind of set a, I don't a rule none. for for movies and TV shows if. John Cusack is in that, I know it's going to be worth my time. To a certain point in his career. Even still. Right, so you're just a Cusack man. I am. Really? I mean, I like him. From, like from 16 Candles all the way to... I'm trying to think of the last thing I saw him in. It's been a while. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he's released a movie last year called Pursuit. I did not see that one. 
He had the one. I mean, he has made some. He's made a lot. Of he's shit. made some stinkers. Stinkers here, like like I, I've never even heard of some of these. It's kind of in a the shame. last few years, like the last one. Has he gone the way of like Nick Cage or um uh, kind or of. what um Bruce Willis, where they just started doing anything if for a million dollars? I mean, the last mainstream movie he was in was Hot Tub Time Machine Two, I saw, I which saw, is uncredited in. I think I saw the first one. I don't know but then he was in Love and Mercy, which was the Beach Boys movie. That's probably the last one that people saw. People saw. Yeah. Let's see. It's like so many of these movies are probably like just straight to streaming, straight to DVD yeah, type movies. I guess they That's why I was are. like John Cusack to a point. Yeah, Joan Cusack definitely. Well, Joan definitely as well. Everything that she's been in. Yeah, he has. But I feel like she's always she's never really been like the lead of a movie though. She's just kind of a great character actor. And that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. She's a multi-time Best Supporting Actress nominee for a reason. I was one of them for Adam's Family Values. She's she's awesome in that movie. One was for In-N-Out. One was for (laughs) Broadcast News. Yeah. Working Girl. Was it Working Girl? Yeah, Yeah. she's in Broadcast News. She has that great segment where she's like running through the office and all the obstacles. What a good movie. She did get a... Saturn nomination for Adam Family Values. <laughs> That's like the sci-fi war mm-hmm. ones, right? Correct. Back I mean, there. she's been nominated a bunch of times at, in different, like, by film critic for supporting actresses and different things. She was amazing and shameless until they just ran out of stuff for her character and then... I was a f- big fan of her in, uh, is it Toy? Uh, yes, with Robin Williams toys. Yeah. Uh, toys. toys That's, yeah. yeah, it was like yeah, not just toys. Toys. Yeah, that was. If you've never seen that one, I think you'd really enjoy that one. I've been told that many a times. It's, when I was a kid, it would play it on Comedy Central all the time, but I just changed the channel when it was it's, on. It's one of those just dark comedies. Totally yeah. off the wall. What the hell were you smoking, drinking, snorting while you were making this, writing this? But it works. Yeah, it's really good. It's one of those, you know. You throw Robin Williams and, and Joan Cusack together, and you got magic. I can't remember who else was in it, but I can remember the cover box. Oh, yeah, that cover was uh, seared into my brain. Alan Arkin is in this one still. Gross Point Blank, Hank Azaria, Jeremy Piven. Michael Gambon plays the the bad guy in Toys. Ah. Oh, yeah, Gross Point Blank. Gross Point Blank. If you've never seen it, it, it's great. Yeah. It won some awards. It was nominated for some stuff. I've been trying to. Critical. I've been trying to do some like holiday movies that I haven't seen, but some of them I'm just like I don't have interest in. But I've been, but I'm like I feel like I've seen all the classic comedy ones. And then, yeah. But Gross Point Blank, obviously, it's not a holiday film. No. Anaconda. There's Anaconda. No. But it rules. <laughs> it, it does indeed do that. See, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna have to watch this one again because it's so I only fun. Watched it when it first came out, and I thought. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. It takes everything seriously, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just good. J Lo's in this one, right? Yeah, J Lo, Ice, Ice Cube, Cube, John Voight. What was the? That's the, uh, what it was, John Voight. What was the other one that came out? That was the Lake Placid. Thank you. That's the alligator like, one, I think. Yeah. Okay. I didn't see like I think Lake Placid was a little trashier than Anaconda, which is saying a lot. But I don't know because <laughs> I haven't seen it. But Anaconda, because I was. A, pretty young when this came out and me and my friends uh, just thought it was the greatest movie ever owen wilson eric stoltz yeah. danny trejo yeah yeah, yeah. i was like a, was that crazy a great cast in it. Yeah. and they're just like on a crummy boat and there's a giant snake attacking them yeah, it's so a solid premise good. it's probably like 90 minutes long <laughs> the exact length it my, should my be my favorite part though is the voice of anaconda it's frank welker there's the voice for the anaconda Frank Welker is credited as the voice of the anaconda. So he's making the snake sounds. Yeah, who's and who's snake. who's? You said Fred Welker. Frank Welker. Who's Frank Welker? He basically did the voice for Optimus Prime oh. in the cartoon, oh, but so then he did the voice of Megatron in the Michael Bay live action. Okay, that's what he's probably most known for. He's a 
He's a huge voice actor. Voice actor that okay. like literally, you name something, I he's mean, probably been a voice in it. The animated series Optimus Prime. That that's. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love me some Liam Neeson, but Frank Welker is Optimus Prime. And um, Orson uh, Welles is Omnicron or whatever that thing is called from the animated movie, <laughs> the the planet transformer. Yeah, I only saw them uh, Anaconda when it first, very very first came out. So, I'll have to give it a, a watch again and uh, see if I enjoy it more. Yeah. I, mean, I know it had sequel or sequels. I saw Anaconda 2 Hunt for the Blood Orchid at the Dollar Theater. It came out like maybe like 8 to 10 years after the first one. And uh, I remember it not being very good or memorable. But like the first one cast was a good time. Bad either. I don't no, but... I never watched that one. Like, both of them had good cast. I had to look just, like just to those... see, because I, I remember the name of it, but... Yeah, I think Lake Placid was a couple years after. Yeah. When the heck did I see Anaconda last? It's been a long time for me, but it was one that I watched a lot when it hit videotape. <laughs> I definitely didn't see it in the theater. Well, enough about those films. Yeah. Let's yeah, yeah, yeah. talk some Raw is War. War. We get the WWF logo before highlights from a previous Raw where we see Mankind crawling out from under a ring and throwing a fireball into the Undertaker's face. Oh my god! Before hugging Paul Bearer. The intro starts, and we get an abandoned warehouse with people running around, explosions going off, followed by superstars making their way through the chaos and into a ring of fire as highlights are projected onto the walls. That's great. It's so good. And it's like a metal riff now. In the arena, multiple pyro explosions go off on the stage, and we have the Titan Tron. Before Vince McMahon welcomes us to the show, joined by Jim Ross and the Honky Tonk Man. We've had too much Honky Tonk yeah, Man lately, man. There's a whole lot of honky going on. I mean, I'm happy he's getting paid, but my God, can he just work in the back? We go straight to our first match. Owen Hart and the British Bulldog versus the Godwins of Henry O. and Phineas I. Godwin with Hillbilly Jim. And Hart takes the mic to praise his brother Brett for helping the family come together and reunite the previous week. USA! Before warning Shawn Michaels to not say anything bad about the hitman. Don't you talk about his brother. So Henry starts it off with Owen using his power to deliver a press slam and a clothesline for a two count, followed by body slamming Phineas, a top heart. Pig takes control with a hip toss of Bulldog as we go to picture in picture to talk to the heartbreak kid. And Sean says he will keep Owen's threats under advisement, but he doesn't respond well to authority. Now back to the action, Phineas is being double teamed in a corner only to fire back to knock the tag champs down to the floor to regroup. And back in the ring, the Godwins continue to control until Hart blind tags himself in and nails a spinning heel kick to Pig. And the champs stomp and choke Phineas, but Owen telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Pig to counter into a backslide pin attempt, only for Davy Boy to distract the ref, so it's only for a two count. In Seguri by Hart for a near fall, followed by a double clothesline from the champs as we go to commercial. We come back to Phineas making a tag, but the ref doesn't see it. So he forces Henry back to his corner, allowing more double teaming, only for Hogg to just run past Hebner to attack Bulldog from behind momentarily. And the champs go for another double clothesline, but Pig ducks and delivers one of his own before crawling to the corner for the hot tag. Henry cleans house with right hands, back elbows, body slams, a wheelbarrow suplex for a two count, followed by everyone jumping in the ring to brawl while we go to picture in picture for an interview with the Legion of Doom, where they say they're going to beat up the foreigners to become champs. What a rush! Now, while they're talking, the Godwins whip the champs into each other before Phineas dumps Owen out of the ring, and Hogg hits the slop drop on Davy Boy, making the cover, 
but the ref's busy getting Pig out of the ring, allowing Hart to leap off the top rope with a double axe handle to Henry, making the cover himself for the pin and, and the win. win. Nothing, yeah, I haven't seen a pin off of a double axe handle. I don't know, probably since an old episode with Macho in the WWE. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> also, let's go to the picture-in-picture interview during the hot tag. I mean, yeah. it's proof that... Uh, We're just telling stories here, guys. Yeah, yeah, Godwins are out. They're on their way out. They don't, they don't fit into this cool heavy metal intro we've just added to the show. Post-match, LOD comes out and attacks the champs, while the Godwins grab their buckets to slop them. Only for Owen and Bulldog to move in time, causing the Road Warriors to be slopped instead. Straight out of a like college-age comedy. It's so silly. And it was funny. perfectly timed. They really did nail it. So the Legion of Doom beats down Henry and Phineas as we head to break. Yeah, Sorry, fellas. And we return to Honky Tonk Man having left the commentary booth before seeing the tag champs watching the accidental slopping over and over and over and over. They think it's very funny. Just laughing away. Best thing they've seen all year. <laughs> when Austin would walk by and shout obscenities at them. I guess they haven't seen Anaconda yet. <laughs> Which leads us to our second match. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Billy Gunn with Honky Tonk Man. Oh, he's getting into the managing game. Or at least trying. That's what he said. He's been out here scouting people to be his next protege. Yeah, gotta find that next great superstar, that next potential intercontinental champion to ride the, the honky wave to fame and fortune. Who is our current intercontinental champion? Rocky, Rocky Maivia. Duh. <laughs> I guess that's just because it was Goldust not too long ago. That was memorable. Yeah. Prepare yourself. We're, I mean, we're, we're hitting late 90s where there's going to be a lot of hot potato going on. So Yeah. So we haven't seen Billy since In Your House 11, episode 223. And Gun goes after Stone Cold's legs multiple times. But finally gets caught for Austin to just start destroying him with right hands. Back body drops and kicks that send Billy out to regroup. And we go to picture in picture again for an interview with Hart and Davy Boy, who seemed upset at Stone Cold, interrupted their fun time, and says they may come poke their nose into his business. Now back to the action, Austin's in control with face slams, wrapping Gunn's arm around the ring post, post. several times. Post until Billy begins to fire up as JR tells us all about Sunday Night Heat, which was Pacific Blue, Silk Stockings, and the Big Easy, all on USA. Yeah, I uh, I got a kick out of the because when I heard him say Sunday Night Heat, I'm like, wait, we're already up to Sunday Night Heat? Yeah, How yeah. the hell is that like, a thing? And then I, I watched so many actually Sunday. listened and was like, oh, okay, so that was the TGIF of... The USA yeah. Network only on Sundays. I feel like and I watched Sunday Night Heat for I the also O Train, basically. Silk Stockings got a special shout out out there. Oh, yeah, JR likes it. Yeah. Who doesn't like Silk Stockings? I've never watched Silk Stockings. It, it, was, it was some great horny, stuff back in the day. Some, I mean, it was. Some good horny cable television? Yeah. Absolutely. Lots of pretty people getting murdered while having sex. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. So it was kind of like the. Like cable television version of like a SBU. Uh, okay, I was thinking of like um, <laughs> what's it called? Like a what were those uh, like sexy thrillers from like the mid to late nineties? Softcore porn. Well, I'm thinking of like Basic Jade. Instincts and uh, Shannon you know, Tweed. Those yeah. type of movies. Linda Fiorentino. Yeah. yeah, I just call. I, I just said a porn star. I'm 42 years old. Wait, I know which one? She's married to a years. rock star. So. Oh yeah, she's. I think she's still married to Gene Simmons. Gene, yeah. I wonder why she stays. So Billy hits. <laughs> He's ace. got a lot of money and a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> so Billy hits a swinging neckbreaker and does some stomping of his own, but Stone Cold turns it around to stomp a mud hole, flip him off, and nail a mule kick to the holsters. And the ref admonishes Austin, only for Stone Cold to flip him off as well, before heading up top, 
The gun meets him there to knock him down, crotching Austin in the process. Uh, I predicted you were going to call him his little skulls. <laughs> Billy's whip is reversed, but he does get a big boot up, allowing him to fire out with the clothesline, only for Stone Cold to duck and deliver the stunner for the pin and, and the win. win. Post-match, Honky Tonk Man gets in the ring to tell Gunn he was always his first choice to be his protege. But oh, Jesse shit. James was just Flap Doodle. Flap Doodle. Flap Doodle was And really Honky good. offers to remake Billy over in his image. The gun just socks Honky in response. I mean, he deserves it. Yep. Also, how are you going to pick Jesse James over Billy Gunn? Yeah, he can. Jesse James can talk. Jesse James can sing. Yeah. He's, he's, he's I try, guess so. He's trying to make him like, like Honky Tonk. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It's like Billy, obviously a bigger and better wrestler and twice as handsome at the very least. Yeah, I saw a picture. <laughs> they posted something on X the other day where it was Billy's debut match and Billy's most recent match. And now he looks like the dude. He's barely aged. I mean, yeah, he looks older, but... I mean, he looks bigger, he looks too. Better, yeah, bigger and better at, he's, you know, 50-something than he was in 20-something. He's definitely juice. <laughs> yeah. But hey, hey, man, whatever. You can do as much steroids as you want as long as you don't kill your family. Exactly. Doc Hendricks in the back trying to sell some merch with a pair of kids, and he has an Undertaker door banner. It's only $29.95, plus shipping and handling. The door banner is kind of sick. It's one of those things where it's like, I wonder how many of those they sold. Uh, it's also one of those things like, you, you'll think it's cool for only a year. It's so like, I was trying to figure out. If you somebody go into somebody's house and they have that, you're like, I don't know, man. Put it on the back of the your closet door. <laughs> trying to figure out if the eyes were just him with his eyes rolled up, or if that was just... If they're empty and it's just the color of the background of whatever uh, your wall yeah. is that you're hanging in front of. They probably did a little bit of rudimentary Photoshop because, you know, it's hard to keep your eyes completely up. And Doc likes one of the kids, Katie, send it back to Vince. It was kind of cute. It was cute. Nicely done, Katie. Now, all of a sudden, a military officer comes out on the stage calling himself Commandant. Thank you. The commanding officer of the Truth Commission. And this is his debut. I know, I'm so confused. confused. Like, where are we going here? And then it gets weirder. (laughs) He lets everyone know that next week's Raw will come from South Africa. Johannesburg. Before going on a long, dry, fascist tirade, saying that the Truth Commission will teach Americans the true meaning of democracy. He continues by singing the praises of Bret Hart before showing a taped interview of the hitman where he says that American fans can't handle the truth, and that's why they don't like him anymore. Brett is then shown carrying the South African flag into the ring of a house show to reinforce the fact that he's pro-international and anti-American, while we also see the Heartbreak Kid looking on in picture-in-picture as we go to break. And we come back to Shawn Michaels making his way to the ring, to join McMahon for an interview, with Vince showing footage from two weeks ago when Hart would apply a figure four around a ring post on the Heartbreak Kit, before also attacking Rocky Maivia on the same show. And Sean confirms that he and Hitman do not like each other. Shocker right now, right? Followed by that Brett has always been a bad guy because he drags his family out on TV so that he can make a buck. When we see Owen and Bulldog watching in the back. And Michaels continues that he supported Hart when he was champion in 1992. But the hitman threw a fit when he was asked to return the favor and he went home. Hoping the WWF would fall flat on its face. With even Vince confirming that they actually had their best year with Sean as champion. And also confirming that he runs the place. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that during this little mm-hmm. segment. I was yeah. like, I don't remember him ever saying that. <clears throat> the Heartbreak Kid starts going off on Brett, who complained about every little detail of Sean's gimmick, telling everyone that Hart tried to jump ship to WCW, but he only came back 
because of the money the WWF had offered. I know, and he uh, doesn't actually say WCW, but we all know what he means. Michaels finishes up by saying he comes out every night to give the fans a show before telling the hitman he's going to do a little dance and starts pulling clothes off right then. And as he does so, the tag champs make their way out to the ring, only for the Heartbreak Kid to grab a chair, which keeps them at bay until officials can pour out of the back to keep the peace as we go to commercial. And there's our, uh, this was where we got our little uh, Simpsons reference. Sean said that called him Mr. Family Values, Bret Hart, having America's most dysfunctional family, and he says that he hopes Bret understands The Simpsons is just a cartoon. And I believe this is also around the time where he had said, he's talking about the obsession that Brett had with him and the WWF championship. And he made yeah. the eerie prediction of your obsession with the championship yes. is what will lead to your ultimate demise. And he's like, wow, that isn't some foreshadowing. I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. I mean, it's a really great promo, but I mean, it would have taken us five minutes to read it. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely worth the watch because this is when the two of them really start digging in. I'm going to probably say that this promo is the reason why this episode is rated so high and the reason it was added to our schedule. I'm all for it. So we come back and we get basically the intro again with Pyro. So, like, I was like, are we in the war zone now? But it never it never said Warzone at any point. Yeah. But the reason they used to do that, because I'm just going to say it now, basically they split it up into two one-hour segments so they could have different ratings for the two different hours, which means they could also charge differently for the ads uh, yeah. instead yeah. of having one big show. And this is where it... Uh... And this is why Vince McMahon is one of the greatest greatest television businessmen <laughs> of all time. Yep. This is also, you know, where they were crossing into the 9 o'clock hour or 10 o'clock Eastern hour so they could do a little... More risque. A little more risque, yeah. Yeah. The commentators then talk about everything that has just happened in the first hour before we go to our third match. And this, what a way to start. The 9 o'clock hour. <laughs> a little risque. <laughs> Freddie Joe Floyd yeah. and Barry Horowitz there is. versus the headbangers of Mosh and Thrasher. One of the headbangers has a pretty sick obituary shirt on, which is pretty cool. Obituary has somehow gotten very popular with the kids these days for an early death metal band from like Florida. Like these days currently? Or these yeah, like, days cur- like currently. If I go to a, like a metal show, you will see like... 20, 18 to 20 year old kids uh-huh. all rocking like obituary merch. It's pretty wild. Very retro. Mm-hmm. So you may have recognized Freddie Joe. I did, but I couldn't figure out who he was. Tracy Smothers, <sighs> who we saw a few weeks ago in ECW. While we haven't seen Barry. Let him keep his name, damn it. He's Tracy fucking Smothers. We haven't seen Barry since Royal Rumble 96, episode 183. And Horowitz escapes a waistlock from Thrasher early on, grabbing a headlock. But the headbangers make a tag for Mosh to fly in with a clothesline before hitting a rubber band slam and a leap over his partner's straddle on the ropes. I'm surprised that somebody, Colt Cabana or CM Punk, never did anything with Barry Horowitz. Or maybe they did, like, on the indies at some point or whatever, because, you know, they're both uh, pretty proud Jewish men. We go to picture in picture to hear comments from Vernon White, who's an MMA fighter and trained in the lion's den. And he says, an exhibition is just another name for a fight. He's going to give us all, not holding anything back. So he'll have a match later on tonight. In an exhibition match. With old Ken Shamrock. Mm-hmm. We go back to the action where the headbangers deliver a double flapjack followed by a hot shot in a corner, until Mosh telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Barry to hit a jawbreaker, leap to his corner for the tag to bring in Floyd. And JR lets us know that Freddie Joe is from Bowlegs, Oklahoma, as he drop kicks Mosh. Is Bowlegs a real place? That's what I was just yes, it is. Ask. Okay. 
I mean, I've, I guess if Jr. said it, I shouldn't be questioning the king of Oklahoma. Sure, you should. <laughs> Freddie Joe continues with a leaping sidekick to Thrasher and a leaping back elbow to Mosh for a two count. He then ducks a clothesline and goes for a bulldog, but Mosh counters it into a side slam before bringing in Thrasher to deliver their combo powerbomb flying leg drop for the pin and, and the win. win. I mean, headbangers have a pretty solid finish. Yes, that is it's, pretty it's, cool. it's cool. Poor Tracy Smothers. I mean, you know. You're a somebody and now you're a Freddie Joe Floyd. I just, I don't get it. It happens, especially to those... I mean, he'll continue to be Tracy Smothers in ECW for a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it happens a lot to a lot. Of, I mean, it's one of those things where, um, like, Terry Gordy, it's like, well, he had a crazy brain injury, so they're just, like, kind of being nice and, like, getting him paid a little bit, but, like, he probably just shouldn't be out there. But Tracy Smothers, he still had it. I mean, yeah, they could have... They, they missed the opportunity right there. They could have had the new smoking guns, put him together with Bart, let Billy go try his little singles life. Not opposed to it? It, it, it could have worked. Bart's it, not a terrible wrestler. They and... had the new rockers. Yeah. Why not have the new smoking guns? I guess because the smoking guns never meant much. <laughs> they only, they only, the only thing the smoking guns really brought was Sonny. And they didn't even bring her. They just picked her up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She was foisted upon them. So we go to our fourth match. Vernon White versus Ken Shamrock in a no-holds-barred exhibition. And this is technically Shamrock's in-ring debut. And Vince actually plugs a UFC pay-per-view as they get started. Yeah, I know. I'm which like... I thought was hilarious because they've now merged with the company that owns UFC. So yep. And can you imagine how much... Like in the early to mid two thousands, Vince McMahon just was motherfucking the UFC yeah. <laughs> for fucking his business up. The two men would trade kicks in a feeling out process until Ken ducks one and locks on a leg lock. Vernon escapes to grab one of his momentarily, only for Shamrock to get back to his feet to lay in some ground and pound. King grabs the leg once more, but they're in the ropes, so the ref calls for the break. White gets to his feet and lands a stiff kick across the chest Ooh. of Shamrock. Ooh, shouldn't have done that. But Ken takes Vernon right down for more ground and pound, busted him open, and causing White to tap out for the win. I mean, it's a he busts him open good. It's just like a legit like splat. <laughs> Post match, Ross interviews Shamrock at ringside, with Ken saying the exhibition got a little out of hand. <laughs> When Vader and Paul Bearer would make their way out and start yelling at Shamrock until officials would get between both competitors before anything could happen. And Ken's not afraid of uh, Vader, and why would you not want to see Vader versus Ken Shamrock after he just beat a guy in like a minute and a half busting him open after getting a little too angry from a stiff shot? It's a pretty great debut as far as like short and to the point and this guy means business. So I wish Ken would have been that exciting in the one match I watched in UFC from back in his day. The very first UFC show I read the tape. UFC fights back then were boring. They were boring as fuck. Yeah. He seriously laid on top of the dude for 20 minutes and just like occasionally would throw a punch to the wrist. There was no structure to the the matches back then. There was also like I think less rules so it's probably a lot scarier and you had to be a little bit more careful where it's like this is they're like all right we're gonna do these things but guys aren't used to pulling punches so they didn't (laughs) and uh, it was a little bit more fun because of it so we go to our fifth match Vader with Paul Bear versus Frank Stiletto excuse me yeah, you heard me. Yo, Frank Stiletto. The Mastodon just waylays Frank with stiff shots, short arm clothesline, before locking on an armbar momentarily. Vader hits a release German and more stiff shots in a corner. A huge release German. Vader doesn't give a shit about this guy. He's never even met him. When we get picture in picture of mankind saying he did a real bad thing, so he wants to make amends. Uh-oh. Foley will have a presentation later. 
hoping the Undertaker likes it because he picked it out himself just for the dead man. An eye patch. Now back to the action. The Mastodon has nailed a pair of Vader bombs followed by a power bomb for the pin and, and the win. win. Fun little squash. Quick. Basically, it's, you know, Vader was like, well, if Shamrock can kill someone in a minute and a half, I'll do it just as quick, basically. We then go to the back. WF President Gorilla Monsoon. And he says that Sid is not at the arena yet to face mankind. Because he may have missed a flight. Or maybe it was a car wreck. And I was literally like... Those are two wildly different things. Yes. Yeah, you're just assuming maybe he didn't get on the airplane because he got in a car wreck. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. But the truth is, is Sid actually had a neck injury that would keep him out for the next couple of months. And this match was actually supposed to be for the number one contenders. Yeah. For the title. It's one of those things where it's like, Sid is cooled off a bit so it could be a good thing when he comes back but i feel like we might it might be a whole new world when he shows up so you know something all too familiar that we were hoping to forget (laughs) so monsoon names austin the new opponent as he's the only comparable competition left on the card like he's the only other guy that is I guess Gold Dust isn't here, so we need or Hunter Hearst Helms is like we need a guy that like is in the Intercontinental well, Title range. So the thing is, is that yes, Raw is in South Africa the next week, but a lot of the crew is already there. Is already there. Yeah. yeah. So like literally everyone that that's we where saw Brett and Hunter and Gold Dust as are, we saw yeah. that we see on TV is literally. Everyone that's there. Yeah, it's like we need a star and in South Africa, Bret Hart, and then we need like two upper middle mid carters. There's your Triple H and Goldust. It's like mm, we'll fill out the rest, but that's good enough for a house show. <laughs> Stone Cold comes in and correctly points out that he's already had a match tonight, and he has no interest in another. That's right. He's not saving your damn show. But then says he'll accept if Gorilla will give him. Psycho Sid's match with Bret Hart at the next In Your House, with the president agreeing. Now Foley and Paul Bearer make their way out of the ring as we head to break, not knowing who his opponent will be. And JR's in the ring when we come back to interview Mankind about why he burned The Undertaker last week, with Foley responding that the dead man doesn't know who he is. Mankind continues that he is set on a plane, smelling his own charred flesh for 14 hours. And his children wake up to the sound of gunfire and people wanting him to die. (laughs) Foley says he can't protect his three-year-old daughter when he's on the road 300 days a year. Finishing that women and children shouldn't watch the next pay-per-view because of what he's going to do to take her. That it won't be. For the faint of heart. Mankind then has Bearer unveil a present for the Undertaker. A matching mask. When all of a sudden, the lights would begin to flicker in the arena. And a video is up on the Titantron with the dead man providing narration. Vowing revenge on Paul and Foley as we go to commercial. I do, I mean, Mankind is... Breaking down the mystery a little bit of himself, talking about having a family and all of these things, and I'm like, oh, we are adding some doses of reality. It's uh, baby steps to that Mrs. Foley's baby boy interview. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn, they've already got. Yeah, I didn't realize that the "Have a Nice Day" shirt was already around in '97 because see some in the crowd. So we go to our sixth match, Mankind with Paul Bearer. Versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. And so I I guess Sid didn't show up. Oh, man. I mean, yeah, the, like, yeah. It takes a minute and then the glass breaks and people go a little wild. Yeah, like how in the uh, previous segment with Gorilla, he was saying that, you know, there's still time. He could show up. And then they literally jumped the next second. I mean, there's two, commercial, kind of there's two commercial breaks and a promo. True, and a promo. That's so, yeah, true. It's, yeah. it's very possible. So it was a good. 20 minutes. It was a good. 12 minutes <laughs> okay. that they gave him. Make that car accident a little more believable. Yeah. 
So the two men began brawling around ringside and up the rampway. When Stone Cold would hit a snap suplex and ram Foley's head into a guardrail. And the still steps. Only for mankind to respond with a clothesline. Now we get more picture in picture with the tag champs in which they are upset that the Hitman's pay-per-view match has been changed. While our competitors have made their way into the ring to continue to brawl. When Foley nails a leg drop on the apron, followed by running Austin into a guardrail and grabbing a chair. Only for the ref to stop him in time, allowing Stone Cold to drop Mankind onto the railing. At first, when I, like, Austin comes out, I'm like, oh, okay, well, it's going to end in a DQ and Sid comes out. But that was before you gave me the information about the neck. But that was my, my assumption. I was like, oh, that's totally what's going to happen. But I didn't realize Sid was actually hurt. Same. Foley slows the momentum by slamming Austin's head against the timekeeper's table before dragging him back into the ring, only for Stone Cold to just tackle Mankind to deliver some ground and pound. A back elbow by Austin for a two count, followed by a chin lock as we see Owen and the Bulldog watching on from in the crowd. And Stone Cold spots them and challenges them to come down as we head to commercial. But when we return, our competitors are back on the floor with Foley having a chair in hand. And the two fight over a suplex on the apron. When Mankind hot shots Austin, followed by us getting a replay of the chair shot during the break. Now back in the ring, Stone Cold escapes a chin lock with a jawbreaker, only to miss an elbow drop, allowing Foley to roll out and pull up the mats. Mankind then tosses Austin onto the concrete before delivering an elbow drop from the apron and trying for a pile driver on the rampway, only for Stone Cold to shove him off into a guardrail. Which wasn't just like the guardrail's like right there. It was like off the, the ramp, ramp. Yeah, yeah. Like over a distance into a guardrail. Yeah, because they have the the ramp that had some edge, but it's not as high up as like the WCW catwalk. You've seen it before. You've all watched 97, 98, 99 Raws. They make their way back into the ring where Austin sets Foley on a turnbuckle as the tag champs begin to make their way closer to the action. And Mankind blocks a superplex by checking the fangs on the rattlesnake, leaping off with a double axe handle, only for Stone Cold to nail him on his way down. And Davy Boy and Hart jump the rail, but here comes the Legion of Doom down the ramp, chasing the champs around ringside as Austin is stopping a mud hole in Foley. Vader then runs past everyone and into the ring to attack Stone Cold, but he moves in time, causing the Mastodon to nail Mankind instead as the ref calls for the disqualification. But they were buddies. Post-match, Foley and Vader begin brawling as Austin and the Road Warriors give chase to Owen and Bulldog up the ramp. Paul Bearer enters the ring and gets in between his two charges. And the two men just end up hugging as Vince says his goodbyes and we fade to black. You love to see two bulbous men work out their differences with a, with a hug. I mean, I thought they were going to have a little more... Of a heated discussion or, you know, a slap or something like that. But, no, it's just like, all right, whatever. I got you. Yeah, Vader's got to be pissed. Like, you're pushing this guy more than me? I'm fucking Vader. I beat Antonio Noki in my first match <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> so I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Raw is War from April 7th, 1997? It was good. It was good. It was fun. They are pushing Austin. It's two matches on the show. He's talking shit. He's getting cheered. Recently had that that double turn, but he's not your average babyface. And of course, it's got we get a different song. We get the Titan Tron. You can tell they're leaning into a new vibe. And who's mad about it? Sorry, Godwins, but mankind burning The Undertaker, and uh, people slyly talking about real life in their promos. It's just a little more entertaining. Kind of those same lines. I I enjoyed this show. 
it moved along quickly. The promos were fun. The matches that were featured were, for the most part, enjoyable. You know, you had your little, I can do it better than you can between Shamrock and, and Vader. You had the opening match. I mean, Bulldog and Owen are always a good time. The and it leads to, yeah, and it, oh, it's like, oh, yeah, it's the Godwins. Kind of tired of the Godwins, but what is it obviously leading up to? Them versus LOD. Yep. Who doesn't want to see that? Yeah, I mean, it's not a must-watch, but it's definitely an enjoyable watch if you do happen to catch it, because it just kind of flies right along. It's it's what old-school Raws were meant to be, you know, where it gives you info for what's happening it sets something up for the next episode it's fast moving it's you don't really know what the hell they're going for next because they're trying to shake things up and keep it fresh and you kind of want to see whatever it is that like could happen and like yeah it's like they're setting up matches that you want to see austin and brett duh we want to see it again uh because austin has yet to beat bret hart mankind undertaker it's been a little while we saw it a lot but he burned the Undertaker's face. How are you gonna get like if people were like, oh, how many times are we gonna see this? Well, they're not thinking that once he flash bombs Undertaker's face, it's like, oh, well, probably gonna get a little bit more of an angry Taker, which yeah. is nice. Uh, and then LOD and Owen and Davy Boy. I mean, come on, LOD. The last match they had was or the first match they've had here was a pay per view match that involved a lot of schmas. Uh, you want to see, you know, four guys that can go throw each other around. It's look, it's looking good for the next pay-per-view. Yes. So like I said, with most of the crew in already in South Africa. Oh yeah, that too. They did their best to fill two hours. I would have probably preferred them to go the route of the last draw we watched. I.e. longer matches. Oh yeah. Instead we got a some... Lot of, a lot of promo. Promo work. But it was all which, good. Which was good. But long. Got a couple squashes. But the promos were probably so good. And the ratings for those promos were pretty good. That we can now kind of see the future of what Raw ends up becoming. Where it's a lot more promos and a lot less wrestling. Yeah. So. It's like that's why you gotta buy the paper for you so you can actually see the match. Yeah. But uh, I mean, at least they have people that uh, can talk. Yeah. I but mean, they, unfortunately, these guys can also wrestle, so we'd like to see some of that too. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So, what are some of the best moments from this show? I popped for uh, Vernon White getting popped. I wasn't ready for uh, some some shoot blood. The Legion of Doom getting slopped. Yes. Because it was just like that perfect timing. Yeah, they everything. nailed it. Yeah, yeah Davey ducked that just right. Uh, I, I even had to watch one of the many replays that they did just to see, were they already hunching down or was it... No, they just nailed it. Yeah, it was, it was perfectly smooth. They went to throw that bucket and the, the two guys dropped just at the right time. And these hiccups just came out of nowhere. Jaeger, uh, the um, was mankind's promo the best one? Was Sean's the best one? Were they I mean, tied? Sean's is probably the best one because it was there was very much a shoot feel to it. Yeah, 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 for sure. But I mean, we all know that mankind can basically always talk. Yeah. Sean is good at it, but he's not Roddy Piper or Mick Foley. No, no. But also, there's nobody else like Mick Foley or Roddy Piper, so it's like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I believe I caught a glimpse of what might be the first crotch chop from Sean at the end of his promo when he was... there. It was just... Oh. You could see his hands moving as he was making a gesture <laughs> as he's like, Davey he, Boy and Owen were outside, and like, uh, he's he's putting it together. His brain yeah. is getting. There. I saw the the motions go, but it was from the side angle, so you couldn't really tell if he was pointing down because you couldn't really see the end of his hands. And yeah, yeah, it's because it's kind of like the opposite of I'm, like. I'm almost certain though that yeah. that was our. He did, first crotch chop. He does the TV. opposite of the like mob talk with your hands, where instead of him going up. 
They go, uh, instead of going up and out, they go down and in. <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, what if I did this near my penis? <laughs> Think of a catchphrase to go along with it. Yeah, what can we say on TV? <laughs> I mean, we Words. mentioned it. We mentioned there in the match, but the headbangers finisher. Oh, yeah, yeah it was. It's, it's great. It's one of the best finishers that we have going right now. Yeah, for sure. It's like a tag team finish is so important, and that's a really great one. You can only do so many things that are too similar to a Doomsday device. Yeah, this one is uh, is not. How about most disappointing? I don't know if there was anything that bummed me out. I mean, no, knowing that we were honky tonk, we, we all I'm knew over we, it. <laughs> we all knew we were going to get a dis- disqualification in the last match. Yeah, I mean, we just didn't know how we were going to get it. I was like, yeah. "Oh, Sid will come out," and it's like, "Oh no, not Sid!" But yeah, it makes I mean, sense. That makes that actually makes more sense. It does. Now, obviously, I knew that Sid was actually hurt, so I knew he wasn't going to come out. But the ending with Vader coming out. And then it feels like they keep wanting to set up Vader and Foley, but we know that that's not where their program are going because everything says Vader and Shamrock and Foley and Undertaker, but then we have this like yeah. Foley and Vader because th- we had it. I mean, in, maybe cause, they're cause just, remember we yeah. had it at WrestleMania as well. Yeah, yeah. maybe they're just covering so, their bases. They're like, hey, if we just let this happen every once in a while, then. Like when we need to, if we need to pull the trigger on that, or if that seems like the right thing to do, what if one of these guys gets hurt or whatever? It's like then it's open, which is smart. Yeah. And like, who'd be mad about seeing Vader and Mankind against each other? Yeah. Um, yeah. Last I remember them true. together, you know, Mankind lost an ear. Someone lost an ear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't have anything negative to say about this, especially considering the. Uh, is this the first time? Or did they do this last week, like the of the Titan Tron and the? Music? I believe the Titan Tron actually started the week before. Okay, yeah, but the, the week new before, music it was like the, right, it was right after WrestleMania. Yeah, oh, the week before was, was the episode after. So, but the intro. Yeah, it's the first one. Okay. Oh so no, the intro started the week, week before. before. Okay, okay, cool. It's just yeah. the first time for us. For us, yes, but yeah, it's like you can tell that it's new. I just wasn't sure if it was the first time. Well, How about yeah. best performer of the night? It's tough. I mean, Stone Cold works twice. Yeah. He's getting more and more fired up, more comfortable. That fucking shit-eating grin, middle fingers. We've been talking about it coming together for so long. And it's just like, mm-hmm. if we're like we're like 90% there. Maybe 85% there, but like we're so close to uh, all of the merch at every state fair in the country being... Um, Glass picture frames of, uh, of of skulls that say three sixteen on them, oh, and uh, and damn Papa balloon mirrors that you'd get. Uh huh. And the and the like the like joke not Joker like j- big tall jester hats that say Austin three sixteen on them and shit. He's about to take over, not only cable television uh, on Monday nights, but every state fair in the goddamn country. Because <laughs> who goes to state fairs but wrestling fans? I mean. If it's not Austin, then it's probably Owen and Bulldog. I mean, they're it probably the only, double duty. Yeah, they're yeah. only other guys that really were featured. Yeah, I can't give it to Sean, even though he had a great promo. I could give it to Mankind because it had a great promo and uh, a good match in DQ. But I mean, Mick Foley in the ring doesn't doesn't disappoint. No, it's just yeah, not a absolutely. thing that he does. It's though it's his whole thing is that he refuses to do that and sacrifices himself. For your entertainment, uh, that is why he is one of the most beloved men to ever wrestle. Yeah, yeah. I'd say if it's not Austin, it's Owen and Bulldog, just because they are all over the show. They had a good match. They were all over the show, and they perfectly ducked the slop. There's a bit of a new dynamic with them because they kind of had some a little bit of fighting and stuff, and now they're basically well, the, com- the, the, yeah, they the all whole, came to the game whole with Heart Brett, Foundation. Brett and, coming you know, out the week before. They're now the Heart Foundation. Yeah. yeah. But, like, they are they had a perfect. Felt moment, and Owen yeah. was crying in the ring, talking to Brett. And... So I but remember that one. They're leaning into, like, comedy a bit, but not too much. Yeah. It's like, and you know that it's like, oh, well, Owen is famous for being one of the funniest guys, you know, outside of the ring. And uh, he's just inching in a little bit of, like, comedic timing. And it's working, especially with them as. 
the top tag team underneath one of the biggest stars and longest like company men this company has seen. How about most surprising? I mean, it's the new promo and Titan Tron and yeah, all that yeah. stuff for me. I mean, uh, I guess I don't remember the like because I have, hadn't started watching yet, but the Flash paper. It's like, damn, that's some fucking '80s shit. We haven't seen that in a long time since uh... since Jim Crockett. No, not Jim Crockett. Since Jim Cornette burned up, <laughs> uh, not. Uh, Garvin, <laughs> like, but I don't even know if we actually watched that. We may have. Yeah, because the real last, the last real fire play that I can remember was either with Hogan and the oh the yeah, the flash bulb, yeah, or yeah. the one where the sheet threw a fireball yeah. or something like that and hit somebody for no reason at all. Yeah, in a new one in a New Japan match or something. I, can't, I don't even remember. But... It might have moved. Because it could have been. A Tiger Jeet Singh thing, maybe? yeah, maybe. But either way, like that's that's not a WWF thing. Is Flash Paper at least in my mind when I yeah. think about the WWF? I don't know much about the WWF, but like this is some you know territory shit, and yeah. uh, it was kind of nice. They'd to have see. A, a cartoon character wrestler, but they wouldn't let you do the cartoon character stuff, like <laughs> you know a Flash Paper. Yeah, the, yeah. About well, about uh, you know JYD spoiler getting alert. Yeah, as we'll see possibly in a couple of weeks. If it doesn't go right, it looks really bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I mean it's uh like um, even here, what was it? Mid South, big angle for uh, I can't remember who was it burned up JYD like, when, oh, yeah. or like right when his like he just had a kid or whatever, and then I could. It was, selling out the Superdome and shit because like he can't see you know his new baby daughter he might not be able to see again blah 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 and um, that that's the shit I want that's the shit I like most surprising for me would probably be that it was as enjoyable of a show as it was with, with eight wrestlers as people as they <laughs> yeah. had yeah it's like six six wrestlers and uh, Paul or Vernon White and don't forget Old, Frank Stiletto. Yeah, Stiletto. Oh, yeah. That's how thin it was. It took me a second. I want to say Frank Stallone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I wrote think down I literally early. wrote Frank Stallone <laughs> yeah. at the beginning, and then I was like, uh-huh. no, that's not his name. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Shane Douglas had been ECW heavyweight champion for three weeks when he would face a debuting maniac at the NWA Bloodfest in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on October 2nd, 1993. Sabu, born 1964, trained under his uncle The Sheik, making his debut in 1984, wrestling in the majority of U.S. territories before making his way to Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling in Japan, where the promotion is well known for its hardcore barbed wire matches which would lead to Sabu to be covered in scars on his arms and torso. Now, during the match, Douglas would be distracted by Paul E. Dangerously, allowing Sabu to hit a belly-to-belly suplex, followed by a moonsault to become champion for the first time. For his accomplishments, Sabu is a hardcore Hall of Famer, and the homicidal one would defend the championship over the next few months when a former NWA world champion would make a challenge at the end of the year. NWA Bloodfest. Hell yeah, dude. That's a good-ass name for a show. I think that's one of those ones that I could never find. Yeah, yeah. Could never find a, a tape for, so... It was probably, like, a Dennis Corluzzo show inside of a... Uh, uh, sure it was. Inside <laughs> of a high school gym. But the name of it, it sounds cool. Bloodfest. It's like, yeah. Next week, speaking of Philadelphia, Barely Legal 1997. I mean, first time in a while I've been excited for an ECW show. Yes. Because we all know it's kind of a grab bag. But this is their first pay-per-view, so I just want to see what they're going to do. Are they going to do it right? Are they going to do it wrong? Are they going to do uh, everything all at once, all the time, like they typically do? Well, we have pay-per-view quality cameras. 
instead of just little camcorder footage <laughs> passed around. I think those shows look fine. I mean, I'm giving you guys two months off from ECW. So. <laughs> oh no, yeah, I'm not. I'm not complaining. This is the one we've been waiting for. Yeah. Sabu and Taz, guys. How long have they been fucking talking about this? A full year. A full year. Yeah. Least. Like since Taz uh-huh. first started talking. They've been building up Taz for a year, and he was the most booed man, and now. He might be one of the more over guys. Not even might. He is one of the more over guys. He's still booed, though. He's still booed. But he gets more cheers than Sabu does at this point. Very true. Music from this week's show is We're All Together Now by Slam Jam. That's the that's the new uh, raw music. Oh, okay. so we're all together now. Yeah. And... Austin won our main event, so we play Hell Frozen Over, version two. Is that the first time by Jane Johnston? Is that the first time we played Austin music in the show? Might be. <laughs> Might be. <laughs> I kind of want to um, just learn that riff and use it as like the intro for my band when we play shows. <laughs> I'm sure that I could get them to do it. Uh, I saw like this last summer. Uh, I went to Texas for a show, and like there was a local band playing, and they did a cover of the uh, of Triple H's theme song. Nice. And uh, it was fucking sick. Everybody, everybody was pumped. Yeah, they just threw it in the set list, and I was like, "That's pretty neat." That's how it was. My buddy's wedding, 2014. The groom, best man, groomsman, and myself. That was our entrance theme. Was the uh, Evolution theme song. <laughs> Yeah, I want to either do the see if I can get him to do the. Uh, it does Austin. look like that is the first time we've ever played Austin's theme music. Yeah. Yeah, I always wanted to do either that one or the uh, or the Vince McMahon, like just the just the riff. No chance in hell. Yeah, the no chance in hell riff. <laughs> one, that one or the other one would be a real fun way to pick a song you can blend it into. That you already wrote. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast at. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. Don't waste your time. We try not to waste yours. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns. Which was your favorite, Anaconda or Gross Point Blank? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, hit us up on the uh, the socials. Yeah, slide into our... Give us a happy new year. Tell us happy new year. Yeah. Yeah. Just give us a shout out. We want to talk to you. We we talk to each other and talk to you, but it would be nice to uh, have you respond to us and and tell us what's going on in your world. You can do those things on email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on X at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Laters.